Hey, I'm, I'm Kendall. If I haven't met you yet, one of the pastors and leaders here, my wife Shelly here on the front row, and excited to share this morning. I always like to start with a story. A couple, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to Scotland, and I actually wasn't even supposed to be there. And so I want to tell you a little bit about this story because what I, what I realized on this trip is that God was trying to teach me something. And I, uh, in March, you know, I had this trip planned to Texas to be with Joe Ewan, who's on the board here at All Peoples and a mentor of mine to honor his 40 years in ministry. So he and I are talking about how I'm going to go to Texas and be at this event to hang out with him. And, I, and that week, I'm, I'm just kind of in my time with God in the morning, and I feel uh, something in my heart. I feel that God says to me on St. Patrick's Day, so Friday, like 317 or 19, whatever that day was, um, there's going to be a sign for you. Something's going to happen. Uh, that's interesting. So um, there it is. That was the sign. So uh, on, on that morning, I wake up, and I have a WhatsApp from Joe, and I check it, and he and I have been talking about this trip, and then he makes a comment about how the meeting that I'm joining him in is not in Texas. It's in Scotland. And I'm like, oh, no, I've committed to this meeting. <laughs> and so, you know, just imagine, you know, my wife thinks I'm going to Texas for a night or two, and, you know, I'm kind of working up the courage to maybe talk about this Scotland trip. The, the year before, I'd been on an overseas trip for ministry. A kid had gotten really sick. I'd felt really bad about that. But anyway, we, we pray about it, and we feel like I'm supposed to go. And so I find myself uh, in, in mid-April on this trip to, to Scotland. And I'm going to speak on Sunday at, a, at Joe's Church uh, in Banff, Scotland. I think I have a picture of the church building, actually, just to give you a, an idea. I know, I know we have it because we had it before the service. Yeah, here it is. Great. So this old, old church that they, uh, I think, bought for like a dollar a year from the Church of Scotland. And it's actually across the street from a castle. I said, Joe, you'd have a lot more Americans coming here to be on your staff if they knew you were across the street from a castle. But... Um, Anyway, so I go, I go to minister at the church there, and they asked me to speak on hope. And so I'm speaking that morning, and at 4 a.m., I wake up like a shot. And, you know, I'm a little jet-lagged, but I'm hearing this noise outside my, my window, and it's this real kind of repetitive, weird noise. And I'm like, that must be Joe. He must be praying. And so I listen, and it's, it's not English. And I'm like, wow, he must have a new tongue. And I look out the window, it's a seagull. Okay, so it's, it's a seagull that's woken me up at four in the morning. I may not share that joke in the other services, but the 8.30 can handle it. And, um, and I'm like, well, Lord, we're up, so what, what are we going to do? And God starts giving me a download for that morning. And he says, there's two people that are going to be at church that morning. They're going to be, you need to minister to. Very specific information about them. He says, one is living in the city of Aberdeen. And they are considering moving to the south of England for ministry. And you need to share that as a confirmation for them. That's the first thing. And then he says, there's a woman there who has lost an important pearl necklace. And I want to minister to her. And so I, I you know, share my message at the church. And it's a wonderful time of worship. And as I'm closing my message, I realize I don't have a plan, you know, for the response. And so I share these two, you know, words of knowledge. That's what we're talking about today. And long story short, both of these people respond. They stand up, a time of ministry starts, and the Holy Spirit starts to move. And I'm thinking, God, God, you're doing something. Uh, the, the next day, um, I'm meeting with the local pastor, and so 
we're supposed to meet at his house and uh, someone else ends up joining the meeting and it's a local business leader. And you know, he was having a crisis. He had lost some funding for a startup and it was this very interesting startup that had to do with the ocean and generating power. And he's praying, just kind of asking, hey, I'm in a crisis. I'm not gonna make payroll this week. You know, can I, I'm just getting with some pastors to get some help in prayer. And as we're praying, God speaks to me this obscure scripture out of Job 41. I'm sure you were reading Job 41 this morning. And it's all about the ocean. And I share it with him. And he's like, I need to confess that I have a fear of the ocean. And so he confesses that fear. Uh, We bring it to God. God speaks to him about that fear. The next morning, I get a, a WhatsApp from that pastor saying he got three new investments. The next morning, the company was saved. And I, I, I share this story to give some examples of words of wisdom and words of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And maybe you've had something like this happen to you. I'll just share a few examples. You knew you were going to run into someone at the store, or something was going to happen, or someone was going to call, and it happened. Or you just had a sense about someone in your life or the life of your friend. Or maybe um, you ladies, a guy that, you know, one of your girlfriends was dating. And you're like, he's a bad guy, right? Or you just had a sense about someone and you didn't know why or how. But you knew they were trustworthy or untrustworthy. Uh, maybe you had a dream about something and it happened. Maybe you were praying and were prompted to call or talk to someone. It was the exact thing that person needed. They were in a crisis. Uh, maybe uh, you were in an impossible situation at work and you just knew what to do. Maybe you were the recipient of, of information like this. I was talking to someone at our church this week who had a call to ministry, a call to preach, and he had run away from that call and he found himself at a bar on El Cajon Boulevard. And someone else at the bar turned to him and said, how's it going being a Jonah and running away from God? Maybe, maybe you've had someone give you Maybe you've had someone give you a word of knowledge, a bit of of information. Um, But if you've ever experienced these things, you have experienced this interesting spiritual gift called words of knowledge. And this morning, I want to unpack this a little bit as we continue our supernatural series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Here's our theme verse for the morning, Daniel 2, 28. There is a God, and and Daniel 2, 28 says this, there is a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. Because here's the truth about about my story to Scotland. I wasn't planning on going on this trip. I had a different plan for the ministry time that morning, and I was planning to meet with a pastor. I wasn't planning to meet with this other, other business leader. I love what Blair Illingworth on our staff says. He says, sometimes we stumble into the prophetic. Man, I was, just, I was just stumbling in to what God was doing. But there's a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. And he is able to speak to us. And he is the hero of the story. Because he's able to come into our world and give us what we need. That's actually the story of the Bible, right? While we were still sinners, we weren't looking for God. He died for, for us, right? Abraham, he's stuck in Haran. God speaks to him. He's not looking for God. He's in his tent. Hagar is running away, actually, from abuse. God speaks to her. God speaks to Moses while he's hiding in the desert. God speaks to Jonah in the belly of a whale, doing whatever he was doing. And if you ever see a little uh, 
Christian, you know, kids' videos about Jonah and the belly of the whale. He's got like a little desk in there and he's hanging out. I don't think it was like that. Um, God knows where to find us. And, you know, Jesus said, actually, it's going to be an advantage to us. It's going to be an advantage that God can speak to us and we can hear from him. You know, Jesus was on the earth discipling his 12 disciples and ministering to people and healing the sick. And everyone wanted a piece of him, right? Everyone wanted to be near him. But he was constrained by time and space because at that time he's fully God and fully man. So, you know, he couldn't be everywhere all at the same time. So people, if you read the Bible, they're climbing up into trees. They're cutting holes in roofs. They're doing everything they can to get to Jesus. But Jesus says this to his disciples in John chapter 16. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage if I go away. Say advantage. advantage. For if I do not go away, the helper won't come to you. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. But if I go to you, I will send him to you. And then it says later in the chapter, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We serve a God that's capable of guiding us into all truth. Amen. We serve a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. The story of man is a story in some ways of us trying to find knowledge, of us trying to find salvation, of us trying to find spirituality and success and hope and achievement apart from God. So God can give this to us, but we often make choices to try to do it ourselves, right? That's what, that's what the Garden of Eden was all about, them reaching out and trying to become like God outside of God's purposes. And the Bible uses a metaphor for this way of life. This way of life in the Bible is described as Babylon. I think I have a picture behind me of the Tower of Babel, if you remember that story in the Bible where, where all the nations come together and they decide they're going to build a tower to make a name for themselves to become like God and close to God. And Babylon is a real place, but it's also a metaphor in the Bible of our attempts to build knowledge, our attempts to build salvation and achievement apart from God. Babylon's in the book of Revelation, right? It's described as a world system that is constructed apart from the knowledge of God. And we're actually warned. Like the angel wards John in Revelation, he says, do not marvel at Babylon. It's impressive. It's interesting. It's beautiful. But he says, do not, do not marvel. And we see this, you know, in the story of the scriptures, there's a time where the Hebrew people, God's people, are exiled into Babylon. So they're living in the promised land, they're living in Israel, and a war happens because of their rebellion, and God exiles them. He kicks them out of the promised land. They're in basically timeout for 70 years, and they're sent to Babylon, to modern-day Iraq. And in Babylon, they find themselves in a new culture. They find themselves in a pluralistic culture, a materialistic culture, a freelance spirituality culture, a culture where people self-identify who they are and what they want. Sound a little familiar? <laughs> Am I talking to any Babylonians out there? Right? Okay, I think it's a little bit like today. And I think it's so significant for us today because when Israel is sent to Babylon, we are given a message of hope. We're actually given a template for how to succeed in Babylon, how to access God's wisdom, God's knowledge, and God's mysteries in Babylon. And that story is found in the book of Daniel. God raises up a prophet. He raises up a leader. He raises up a man named Daniel, and he chooses to make Daniel his template 
on how to thrive in Babylon, on how to walk in divine revelation in a culture of self-obsession. Does anybody want to learn how to do that this morning? Man, I do, right? How to walk in divine revelation in a culture of self-obsession. So I'm going to read Daniel 1. It's a long passage, so I'm going to read it in the message version. It's a little easier that way, but you can read it in whatever version you want to. It'll be on the screen along with us. Um, it was the third year in King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah where King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon declared war on Jerusalem and besieged the city. The master handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the furnishings of the temple of God. Nebuchadnezzar took the king and the country of the Babylon, the ancient Shinar. He put the furnishings in the sacred treasury. This is going to make sense in a second. Okay. So verse 3, the king told Ashpenaz, imagine having to stand up here and pronounce all these names. Okay. <laughs> the king told Ashpenaz, head of the palace staff, to get some Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men who are healthy and handsome, intelligent, well-educated, good prospects for leadership positions in the government, perfect specimens. Okay. I'm going to pause there because we're going to see something through Daniel's life we're actually going to see three types of knowledge, three types of knowledge that, that you need to thrive in Babylon. And we're gonna see how God uses Daniel in each of these arenas. So the first type of knowledge we see right here, it's everyday knowledge. Daniel and his friends had everyday knowledge. They knew how to be high functioning adults. They had life skills, amen? Anybody a fan of life skills out there, right? Okay, Daniel made a good impression, he was healthy, he could communicate, he was decently dressed, he could manage himself. And those are the kind of people that get promoted in life. And so he had life skills, and this is something we all have to develop and work on. Now, it doesn't stop there, but that's where it starts. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse five, the king's plan was to indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and the lore of magic and fortune telling. The king then ordered they be served from the same menu as the royal table, the best food, the finest wine, after three years of training, they would be given positions in the king's court. Verse 6 and 7, for young men from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among those selected. The head of the palace staff gave them Babylonian names. Now, this is going to be significant in a second. He gave them Babylonian names. Okay, going down to verse 8. But Daniel determined that he would not defile himself by eating the king's food or drinking his wine. So he asked the head of the palace staff to exempt him from the royal diet. The head of the palace staff, by God's grace, liked Daniel, but he warned him, I'm afraid of what my master, the king, will do. He is the one who assigned the diet. And if he sees you, you're not as healthy as the rest, he'll have my head. That's a temperamental boss right there. So Daniel and his friends, they decide to not do this diet, okay? To not do the king's diet. They feel it's unclean. They feel it will defile them. And so they make their decision and they challenge the temple guard basically to say, hey, if, if we're not healthy within a certain amount of time, we'll, we'll eat your food. But, and then verse 14, this is what it says. The steward agreed to their plan. He agreed to do it and he fed them vegetables and water for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and more robust than all the others who had been eating from the royal menu. So the steward continued to exempt them from the royal menu of food and drink and serve them only vegetables. Here's the second kind of knowledge we see in Daniel's life domain knowledge, domain knowledge. So you got everyday knowledge and you've got domain knowledge. Domain knowledge is the knowledge you need when God calls you to a specific area of society, okay? So what we see for Daniel, here's some words that are used to describe him. Intelligent, well-educated. He had three years of training. So he went to Babylonian grad school, okay? 
He was given a Babylonian name, right? So he had influence, he had knowledge in his domain to the place where he was, he was called. If God calls you to a certain domain, there's some knowledge you're going to need to be successful in that domain. Now, we do get supernatural knowledge from God, but I find this is typically not the kind of knowledge that God zaps people with. Like, this doesn't happen at the end of a prayer service. He actually makes you work this out, and he tests your diligence. Like, my friend Wendy's here on the front row. She's a pharmacist. I'm so glad that she went to pharmacy school, <laughs> right, that she knows what she's doing. She is well-trained in several domains, that being one. So if God calls you to a certain domain, you need to work and develop that knowledge. There's parenting, education, neuroscience, finance. You could be a car mechanic. I hope you, I called a mechanic this week, and he gave me some great advice because he understands that domain. Your domain knowledge will open doors for you. Did you see how that opened doors for Daniel? Did you see that? Yeah, yeah your domain knowledge will open doors for you. Also, your domain knowledge requires discernment. Did you see how Daniel noticed some things in his domain that he was like, this isn't godly? And he chose to not participate in the food from the king's table. And what did God do? He blessed him. Yeah. So just because God calls you somewhere doesn't mean you have to absorb every unethical practice. No, we got to live with our integrity. We got to live according to God's laws and words, but we should be the most excellent one and impenetrable as we're doing that. Amen? Okay, so we got our domain knowledge. We got our everyday knowledge. Verse 17, let's continue. God gave, now here's the key. God gave these four men knowledge and skill in both books and life. In addition, Daniel was gifted in understanding all sorts of visions and dreams. At the end of the time set by the king for their training, the head of the royal staff brought them into Nebuchadnezzar. When the king interviewed them, he found them far superior to the other young men. None were a match for them. Verse 19, so they took their place in the king's service. Wherever the king consulted them on anything, on books or on life, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom put together. This is divine knowledge. So we have our everyday knowledge. We have our domain knowledge. We have our divine knowledge. Knowledge. This is the knowledge from a God that reveals mysteries. God gave Daniel and his friends divine knowledge. And remember that word earlier, advantage? It was to their advantage, wasn't it? Actually, 10x, it says. They were 10 times more talented than all their other colleagues put together. Because the Lord was blessing their endeavors, and he was giving them secret inside information. Um, now, I just want to pause here with that graphic up because you actually might need to think about your life for a minute and make a plan for each of these types of knowledge. This is not the point of my sermon, but I'm just trying to help you a little bit with your discipleship journey. You know, there might be some everyday knowledge that you need to grow in. So domain knowledge, actually, as I was praying this morning, I felt like there were some people that were struggling with, should I be in school next fall? Like some kind of college or educational um, you know, endeavor. And I felt like the Lord was saying, pursue your domain knowledge. So that might be a word for someone here. Uh, your divine knowledge as well. That's what we're going to focus on for the rest of this message. Because Daniel 2 is a case study for how to walk in divine revelation. For how to access divine knowledge 
from God. Now, the message was getting a little slide heavy, so I'm going to read most of Daniel 2 to you. And I just want you to hear this impossible situation that Daniel was put in. Because this is what happens. He serves this temperamental leader, and Nebuchadnezzar comes to the kingdom and says, hey, I've had this dream, and I can't sleep, so I need everyone in the kingdom to come together and interpret my dream. But here's the catch. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me my own dream. You might need some divine knowledge if you find yourself in this situation, right? Daniel 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. The king commanded that the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, that's a lot of people, be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell us the dream. We'll show you the interpretation. The king answers and says, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be laid in ruins. I mean, goodness gracious, right? The king was angry and very furious, skipping down a bit, and commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel replied with prudence to the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men, and he declared, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the dream. Three reasons God wants to give you divine knowledge. Three reasons God wants to give you divine revelation. Number one, impossible situations. Are there some impossible situations in our city? Just name one, right? Addiction, homelessness, education, I mean, you know, whatever. God wants to give us divine revelation to solve those problems. Last night, Jeff and I were at dinner with a friend that has a nonprofit that's uh, solving addiction. And God has given him divine wisdom into this arena. And, you know, that's the kind of solutions the world needs. I remember um, years ago, uh, I was helping run a retail store, and our point of sale system went out. And, you know, with a credit card machine. And they were basically like, this is unfixable. We'll have to get to it in January. Well, it was the Christmas season. This is, you know, the time to make money. And it was a precarious situation. So this man came in. He wasn't a Christian and, you know, just this random guy working in town. And small town, this was the guy that could work on the point of sale system. He worked on it for two days. He couldn't get anything done. And he said, sorry, you're going to have to use one of those old paper credit card things. The whole, you remember those things? Like, like the, the contact paper? And he's like, that's how you're going to have to do your credit cards for the next month. We're like, we can't do that. You know, we're going to lose the papers. And, you know, so uh, then we pray. The next morning, I come in. The guy's back. And he's, he's under the POS system. Like, I seen his feet when I walk into the store. Oh, what are you doing out there? What did he say? Last night, I had a dream. And in the dream, I connected two wires under here, and the point-of-sale system worked. And I literally watched as the screen went on, and it was fixed. God gives divine revelation for impossible problems. God loves people. That's another reason he gives divine revelation. Remember in um, John chapter 1, Jesus calls Nathaniel. What causes Nathaniel to come to Jesus I saw you under that tree. It's a word of knowledge. Jesus has drawn him closer. He's he's letting him know, I know where you live. I know where you work. I know your name. I'll never forget 
the first time I experienced this in a dramatic way. I was in India, and um, our team was praying in the morning just for our day of outreach. We're helping some missionaries move. There wasn't much planned for the day. And as we're praying, I wrote down a name just on a sheet of paper and put it in my pocket. And that name was Motith, M-O-T-I-H. I actually didn't know it was a name at the time. I just wrote down a word. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so I went to the cell phone store with my friend Nick, who was moving there as a missionary. And, you know, he's getting his cell phone worked on. I have nothing to do. So I'm just talking to the other staff people. And I pull out the sheet of paper. I'm like, hey, does this, does this word mean anything to you? Motif? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know him. And I'm like, no, like the word. You're like, yeah, that's a name. Motif. And I'm like, Motif? Like, that's a person? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, he's up on the roof having a smoke break. So I go through this, like, weird thing and end up on the roof of this, you know, and this building in India, and there's Motif up there just smoking a pack, you know? And so he and I strike up a conversation. I show him the sheet of paper. I'm, like, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in his life. And uh, he invites me over to his house for dinner the next day. Well, I meet his wife. Motif is not a Christian. His wife is. She's been praying for him to come to Christ for years. He gets saved that night at their dinner table. God knew where he lived and worked and smoked, for that matter. God loves people. First Corinthians talks about, you know, what would happen if a church was walking in divine revelation, where, where people walk in and the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, and they get on their knees and they say, God is really among you. Like, God knows things. You know things no one could know. But when I was in this place, they were told to me. And so I've got to worship him. That actually happened to me, my, my first times at a church like this. And something that God does to draw people to himself. Another reason God gives divine revelation, promotion. Promotion. I find this really interesting. You know, God uses this word of knowledge in this impossible situation with this very difficult person to promote Daniel. And Daniel actually ends up with more influence and more power and more ability to extend, you know, righteousness in the kingdom of Babylon. Isn't that amazing? How did that happen? Daniel knew who God was. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. Daniel knew who God was. Daniel didn't say, well, hey, I'm, I'm a prophet, so I'll solve this problem for you. He didn't say, well, I've got a group of friends, and, you know, we're going to get together and pray and fast, and we're the most spiritual community group in town, and, you know, we'll get back to you with an answer. Right? No. He just said, I know that there is an answer because there is a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. Then he tells him. He tells him his dream. Amazing. I don't know. I'm amazed. And we serve a God that reveals mysteries. Here's the problem. We just typically don't believe God's going to reveal mysteries to us. Sure, maybe somebody on the front row, you know, maybe the pastor, Maybe that missionary out there in the Middle East and, you know, they met somebody that had a dream of Jesus. I've met so many people that have dreams of Jesus. By the way, it's amazing. But what about us, you know, in our apartment complex or condo or 
on our block. This is what the Bible says about you. John 8, 47. He who belongs to God, here's what God says. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, you're on the faith journey, you can belong to God. Like you can actually feel, I belong to God. You can make yourself a follower of God and know that he's with you. But if you've done that, you can hear what God says. There's not like two kinds of Christians, the prophetic Christians and like the bumbling Christians that don't know what God is doing. God's speaking to all of us. Psalm 19 says, the heavens are pouring forth knowledge. The question is, have you learned how you hear from God? That's the question. So let's assume there's a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. Let's assume because you're a Christian, this is part of your birthright. You're actually spiritually wired to hear from God. The question is, do you know? Do you know how God speaks to you? I've done many talks on this. There's great content on the All People's YouTube page, so I, I don't have time to break everything down, but I just want to show you a quick graphic that might help you figure out how you hear from God. You know, think about your brain, your ears, your eyes, and your heart. Some of us are knowers. We just know God is showing us something. We can't put language to it. We can't prove it, but there's an inner intuition. There's an inner knowing. There's a, there's a sense. I mean, this is a lot of how Paul operated in the Bible. He would know things about people and places. And he, it doesn't always even show why or how he knew that. But there was some kind of instinct that God had put in him. Maybe even lacking some big spiritual experience, but an inner knowing. I wanted to start with this because I find these are the people that disqualify themselves the most. Because it's typically less dramatic when they hear from God. Not less powerful, less dramatic. Okay? Sometimes it's less confusing. That could be a good thing too. All right? All right, ears. You might be uh, even an auditory learner. You might be a more literal person. You know, so when you're praying, God just might give it to you one, two, three. You know, here are my steps. Wow, I wish my life was like that. You know, it's not. Um, and uh, one, two, three. You know, here are some phrases. You, you pray, you wait on the Lord. You hear it very clear. Yes, or a no, or a phrase, or go do this. There's instruction that comes to you. And God has wired you in that kind of way. Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay, all right. Eyes, you might be a seer. You might be the kind of person that is prone to visions and dreams or, you know, when you pray, you, your imagination is very active and you find yourself in the middle of like a Lord of the Rings movie and you're like, what is going on, right? So these are typically very parabolic people that God speaks to in a real interesting way. This would be like Ezekiel or Daniel in the Bible, okay? Um, heart, you might be a feeler. When God speaks to you, you might be like Nehemiah. You might have a deep sense of compassion or joy. And, and you might know how to hear from God in that kind of way. So will you just look at that for maybe 10 seconds and just consider, you know, where is God working on your life? You know, where, what, where might you fall in in this season? I hope that you have something. There's a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. How do we get there? Well, I, I saw this quote this week, and uh, man, it just really touched me. I, I want to show it to you. By a, by a leader named Terry Walling, it says this, the prize of surrender is revelation. The prize of surrender is revelation. How do I walk in divine wisdom? 
how, how could God give me dreams or words of knowledge? There's, there's no tactical skill-based seminar that I can do to teach you to tell someone their dream. That's impossible. But when we're surrendered to the God that reveals mysteries, our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears are open to his will. So here's my call to you this morning. Are you willing to surrender to hear God's voice? This was my surrender that I made over 20 years ago. God, if you give me something to say, I'll always tell it. Man, that's put me in some uncomfortable situations. <laughs> Sometimes you wish, you know, you could reset the modem. You know what I mean, Sean? <laughs> oh, man. But you know what? God bless that prayer of surrender. Surrender.